All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the doctor amongst men, Duncan Joyce. How's things, Duncan? Things are going greatly. Yeah, how are you? Pretty good, thanks. I cannot complain at all this time around. Nice one. My um, football team's just won the big final last weekend, so we're officially champions of Queensland, and I've got to watch some half-decent wrestling for the show, so what could be better? Win-win. I've got yeah. a job now working in after-school cl- after school science clubs. Nice one. Yeah, so I've just been training most of a week. Uh, I had a session in school on Monday to watch some online health and safety training and driving about awful, awful weather, by the way. Can't wait to come and see that in a few weeks' time. <laughs> it, it's, no, it, it should be all right. We, we, we just had so. like the remnants of some hurricane or whatever. I'm hoping that I'm going to actually be able to stretch my trip by a few days and catch the Manchester Derby, so we'll see how that all goes, Ooh. but... That's the um, the plan at the moment. Oh, intriguing. Yeah, I'd like to see it before, you know, they sack Jose and get someone decent in. <laughs> and any United fans out there, come on, you know I'm you know you know that needs to happen now. <laughs> Pogba is currently giving you that death stare that he gave Jose. Yeah, it's one of the two. One of them's got to go. It's like Ric Flair and Vince. The company's not big enough for the both of them. (laughs) I just wonder who Jose's poison could be to bring in to kill the team off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing Jose cutting that Vince promo. (laughs) I'm going to inject the club with a lethal dose of poison. Oh, I just want to, just can't in my mind figure out when he spins that chair who, whose face is going to be on the back of it or whose jersey number. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's too good. <sighs> but we've actually watched some wrestling and we are still going down our 2010 timeline, um, rapidly chewing through it now, actually, because we're up to April the 12th, where we've watched this week's episodes of Raw and Nitro. Um, how'd you get on with the shows, Dunk? Indeed, it's a fairly hassle-free watch. Uh, <laughs> Raw seem to be timing themselves in with your plans because they're over here in Blighty. Yes, they are. <laughs> and they're soon to be over here, actually, for the big super showdown. I was considering going to it in Melbourne, but unfortunately I'm away in a week-long football tournament and if we make the final, then I won't be able to attend, so I didn't want to risk it. Ah, that's a shame. Yeah. Which did you watch first, Raw or Impact? I watched Raw first. Oh, as did I. Should we head over to the O2 Arena and see what Raw's got to offer? Yeah, let's check it out.
Raw starts off with the usual um, introduction and ballyhoo, and we've got Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, and they tell us that we're going to see Batista and Randy Orton in the main event, and we open up with a bunch of the Divas coming out dressed as monks um, in David Hasselhoff masks, who of course are here to introduce the guest host of the night, the Hoff himself, who comes out in Knight Rider, just to make sure everyone knows what's going on. This was brilliant. Marked out for seeing Kit in a WWE arena. Oh my god. <laughs> He's got a fair few signs in the crowd as well. He's fairly over, his old Hoff. Yeah, yeah, and the um the um puns get dropped pretty heavily here. The crowd love him, um, and he drops words like Hoftastic and Hoffsome. I have I know it Hoffsome too. <laughs> He's, he thinks he's the rock at some point as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Hoff has finally come back to Raw. Was it was a good line. <laughs> Uh, he announces a match that you're sure to love, the um, Baywatch Babe triple threat tag match to really just make sure the women know their place in the company here. Woohoo. <laughs> and um, we get told... Um, he gets some, some booze, actually, when he talks about um, announcing the SmackDown main event, which he calls Randy Orton up against Jackie Swagger. <laughs> Jackie Swagger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be an extreme rules match. Um, and we also just pan around, and as we're going back to the stage, I notice the um, obligatory double-decker bus in the entrance, so that's pretty cool as well. Yeah, that's all right. See, personally, uh, like the set in general is just a bit shit because they can't be bothered hauling everything off to the UK. I know a lot of people are really big fans of them having different sets for different locations and stuff but I like it when we get the proper Raw set in the UK it's like oh they're taking it seriously over here you know they, but we can produce Raw just like everybody else instead of having like a tiny little LED screen or something <laughs> yeah it just looks a bit like um, the warehouse for Austin Powers the entrance way doesn't it <laughs> When we get started, our first match is going to see Eve taking on Maurice for the Divas Championship. Um, Eve dances with the Hoff on his way out, um, and Maurice gives her... Oh, on his way out, on her way out, I should say. And Maurice gives her a slap, and we get started with a bit of a catfight. Was it just me? Or like, So when Hoff had the Hoff druids in the masks and stuff, I could have sworn one of them was Eve. Yeah, I thought so too, but um, it was a little bit difficult to pick up on whether or not she just skipped out of the outfit and came down to the ring, or whether or not I was just me being mistaken. So I didn't rewind it and triple check. No, me neither. It was a little bit dark, but uh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's not like proper like rubber masks or anything. They're just like holding up paper masks and like oh, and sneaking behind them. <laughs> yeah, no one was really thinking there was eight hoffs on the way to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Eve hits a neckbreaker but misses a moonsault. And um, Michael Cole tells us this could be the turning point of the match. And I look down at my notes and I go, we're a fucking minute in, Michael. Calm yourself down, mate. But then I realise it's a Divas match in 2010, so he's probably right. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, oh, check it's a minute in, you see how much is left. <laughs> and then, just to uh, make me look stupid for quizzing that, um, Maurice sets up a DDT, but Eve rolls through it and picks up the win with the one, two, three, just like that. Yeah, really crazy cookie jackknife roll up from Eve to win it there at the death. I, I get what they're doing here, like a title change in England, make it seem important, get the crowd fired up with the first match. But if you're going to do a title change, give them more than a minute and a half to actually have a match. 
yeah, I'm totally with you here. This was more about making this Raw newsworthy as opposed to a, a, an audience experience for the people there. You know, just two short years ago from this Raw, you had Mickey James and Beth wrestle for the title in the same arena, I think. And from what I understand, they had a pretty killer match beforehand where Mickey won the title. And that was like the start of another... That was like the start of another really good spell in women's wrestling. That uh, late spring, early summer of two thousand and eight, where you had Beth and Melina and Mickey going out on pay per views all the time and having good matches. Yeah, I, I definitely get it. Like because I remember from the days of you know, pretty much I would say from two thousand and one to about two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, somewhere in that vicinity, I would have watched every. Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-view they put on, with the exception of about a nine-month run in 03 when SmackDown lost the rights over here in Australia. But outside of that, I watched every show for a good seven or eight years solid. And this was, you know, to me, it was must-see viewing back then before I sort of checked out of the product. But the overseas shows always just seemed like going through the motions and brought a certain lethargy to it. So I guess they were trying to find a way around that. But it's pretty transparent that it's not really anything of meaning when they give the match a minute, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Like, this is a far cry from, say, Sean and Cena in 2007, or there was one, the back end of 2008, when they came to the MEN, and I really wish I would have gone, because it was HBK and Y2J in a last man standing match on the Raw, and then the SmackDown was a double taping, and it was Jeff Hardy versus Undertaker, Extreme Rules... And then Jeff Hardy versus Triple H on the next show. I'm just like, why? Why was I so wound up about like being a good student when I was that young? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'd have still pass with flying colours if you had a night off. <laughs> <laughs> and we then get the um, KFC Double Down replay of the night, and KFC Double is just amazing. So happy to see that advertised on here. <laughs> and it's um, it's a replay of the the. Monday night tag situation from the week before with um, David Otunga, John Cena, The Miz, etc., and showing the Otunga and Batista turns on Cena. So, first of all, what are your thoughts on the KFC double? The KFC double down showdown. <laughs> um, I've had it once. It's not a regular thing on the menu here in Britain. It's just like a seasonal special. Oh, quick, go and grab it. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah, I, I'm uh, KFC disappoint me more often than not, to be honest. Ah, oh, unfortunate. That was my first job, KFC. Ah, <laughs> and yeah, and just a lengthy sort of recap of all the stuff from last week. Um, and we get the pretty weak explanation that all this happened because David Otunga wants to curry favor with the Miz, who is one of the um the pros for NXT. I don't know about you, but I just found that to be a bit of a oh, well, we better explain it somehow because it didn't make a lot of sense. What did you think about that? What is the other side of Otunga's explanation that caught my attention? Because he apparently he didn't want to share the spotlight with anybody. But if you go back and watch last week's show, he just gives Batista his spotlight without any sort of problem whatsoever. It's like, oh, Dave, over to you. And for people that like aren't familiar with these shows or don't actually watch them as we review them, because, you know, why would you? It's not figuratively either. He literally gave a spotlight to Batista. Exactly, yeah. That was his whole gimmick at the time, having the spotlight down because he's a star and stuff. 
the next segment shows Show Miz come out and they basically come in the ring and have a little bit of a self-appreciation talking about how they're the greatest tag team ever. And this brings out Brett the Hitman Hart, which I was pretty pumped to see. I, I, I know he sort of became a semi-regular for, here for a little while, but I can't say I was expecting him to be on this show. So I was quite happy to see him come out. I wasn't expecting either. Uh, I think at the time he was advertised for the whole European tour, which probably explains the pretty tepid reception he got from my fellow countrymen. Like, seriously, yeah. Bret Hart turns up in surprise and he gets pretty much a golf clap. Like, oh, yeah, Bret, <laughs> fine, yeah. Fucking get into it, come on. He's even coloured his hair and everything, which I'm sure you appreciated. Oh, yeah, he's not looking um, Kevin Nash TNA-like anymore. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, because you've got to think it's been, it must have been, you know, well over a decade since he's been in the UK on a major wrestling show because it would have been 97 if they had a, I don't know, if they had a Raw or he would have been possibly at one of the UK pay-per-views in 97. Yeah, it would have been one night only because he defended the title against Taker and WCW did do a UK tour, but I'm pretty sure he was released by that point because he was still having this post-concussion syndrome from... From the Goldberg match, so it's a fair while since they've had him over there. Yeah, it was, it was not the um, not the rousing reception you'd expect, was it? No, absolutely not. Brett reminds, uh, sorry, Brett reminds us. Michael Cole reminds us that the Miz interrupted Brett Hart a few weeks ago, and thank God because I'd forgotten about it already. Um, and Brett says that that it can't be the greatest tag team ever because he can name two off the top of his head: the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs, and that does get a little bit of a pop from the crowd. Yeah, the Bulldogs especially. You call yourselves the greatest tag team of all time? Give me a break. I can name two tag teams right now off the top of my head. They're way better than you guys. First of all, the Hart Foundation voted WWE greatest tag team of all time. Second team, the British Bulldogs. Mix, Miz, can't read my writing tonight. Miz says that um, Hoff and Bret Hart are both deluded 90s stars um, and actually cuts a pretty good promo of which I'll splice a little bit in here because it was a decent bit of fire from the Miz. I didn't mind it. I guess David Hasselhoff isn't the only 90s icon that's completely delusional. (laughs) We were in your era... I'd put a sharpshooter on you faster than you could put a pair of cheap sunglasses on an ugly kid. And as for the Bulldogs, to be quite honest, I'm actually a fan of the Bulldogs. But if we had to face the British Bulldogs, I'd have no problem slapping the British Bulldogs in their little British faces. Isn't that right, Big Show? Look, Brett, this is the last time I'm going to warn you, okay? Just leave, all right? My favourite line was how he claimed he put a sharpshooter on Brett faster than you could put a pair of cheap sunglasses on an ugly kid. (laughs) That was good stuff, wasn't it? (laughs) Loved it, yeah. 
Um, he makes fun of the Hearts and the Bulldogs, and this brings out the Hart dynasty. Um, David Hart challenges the Miz to a one-on-one match for a shot at the tag team titles at Extreme Rules. I found that weird that they didn't just challenge him for a tag team title match, but you know, I guess they wanted to try and pick the weakness in Miz's ego there. But um, Miz says that he'll go along with it. But if he wins, Bret Hart has to declare show Miz the greatest tag team ever. And Bret Hart agrees. So we've got ourselves a little wager on. Mm. Right. Miz, like I was thinking, it was like, these guys are on SmackDown. What the hell are you doing here? And Bret's just casually like, oh, yeah, I invited them over. Like, <laughs> Under what authority? <laughs> The uh, the brand split is a farce in, 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 at this point. It's a complete waste of time. Exactly, because these two have been feuding. I mean, we've not been seeing the SmackDown side of things, but the, te- the challenging team are on SmackDown, and yet the build to this rivalry has mainly been on Raw from the looks of it. It's just so weird. One of them situations where Bret Hart's too big of a star to be on SmackDown, isn't it? So people just come across to make, make waves with that. Hmm. That takes us to a commercial break, and when we come back, it is time for the aforementioned single match, David Hart-Smith taking on The Miz. We get started with some chain wrestling and a big backdrop from David Hart. Um, Natalie gives The Miz a slap behind the ref's back, and then we get that beautiful British Bulldog-esque delayed vertical suplex from Smith for a two-count. I love that suplex. Yeah, running through all of the classic offense here. What annoyed me, though, they join this match in progress. Why? <laughs> it's a it's a tape show. You're not live this time because of the time difference. You just time it a little bit better. We get a um, top rope axe handle for a two count from Miz, and they slug uh, backwards and forwards with some punches each. We get a, a trifecta of clotheslines from Smith, and then a slam for a two count and a belly to belly suplex for a two count. Miz comes back with a corner clothesline and then comes off the top rope but eats a boot. Gets put in the sharpshooter, but this brings Big Show up to the apron. Uh, David Hart hits a drop kick on him, um, but show nails Tyson Kidd and then punches David Hart Smith with a knockout blow, allowing Miz to hit him with a skull crushing finale for the one, two, three, and pick up the win, which seemingly means Bret Hart is going to have to declare his love for show Miz in the near future. Mm, I was really caught by surprise by this result. I did not see that going that way at all. No, totally. I loved show's interference. He chopped Tyson Kidd out of midair. That was brilliant. Yeah, it was so good. Kid uh, ran off at, off the apron or something, didn't he? And just ate it. It was brilliant. Mm, yeah, this was a solid match in general. Uh, the only really lull came from the long chin lock spot in the middle, and David was showing some good fire here. This is fine. Yeah, decent um, and good surprise ending as well. So I'm interested to see where this goes next week. They've, they've piqued my interest in the storyline for sure. Yeah. We're going to replay again of the Otunga um, hype and all the stuff from last week. Um, and then Otunga is backstage with Batista, and Batista sends him for coffee in a really uncomfortable scene. <laughs> yeah, Batista, for, initially, he's like, no, you remind me of a young me. And, and it's just like, no, I, I asked for coffee. No, I demanded coffee or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, you're talking about how lengthy the tag title match recap was earlier on why do we need another recap of it i know it's just it's a bit of overkill by this point Mm -hmm. um hoff comes into the scene and declares it will be cena versus otunga tonight um and then i've got here um the car (laughs) the car that's right the car i'm I'm thinking what car (laughs) um 
half sidekick tells us that it will take approximately 22 seconds for John Cena to win. And I'm going to claim um, copyright infringement here. I believe there will be a cease and desist on the way because they've certainly stolen the gimmick of the York Foundation. <laughs> How long was it going to take again? Sorry. 22 seconds. 22! No! <laughs> Goldberg! Why me? Why me? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this was um yeah <laughs> interesting to say the least did you hear immediately after this brag about wrestling a shark no i completely missed that <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh and otunga also claimed that hoff could play his grandfather in a movie yeah, that one, that was actually quite a nice line, that one. I mean, the family resemblance is not quite there, but yeah, it did make me chuckle. Yeah, they could be adopted or something like that. <laughs> I guess so. We then go to our next matchup, which is Evan Bourne taking on Carlito. I didn't even realise Carlito was still around in this time frame. <laughs> and he gets a jobber entrance, so it's obviously he's not doing much. I made the exact same point, you know, the surprises on this show continue. Did not realise Carlito was still employed. <laughs> Yeah, they left him there on the last tour and just picked him up on the way back through. <laughs> Did you notice who is sponsoring Raw this week? No, I didn't take note. It's Monster Hunter Try. Oh, God. <laughs> we get a cool head scissors from um, Evan Bourne and then a spine buster from Carlito and a big boot, some stomps before um, Bourne fights back with a Hurricane Runner, a corner drop kick for a two. A hip toss into the corner, which was quite a cool spot, and then blocks the backstabber and hits a shooting star press for a one, two, three. And what was a little bit of a glorified squash certainly didn't make Carlito look all that uh, competitive here. What did you think? I thought it was on a similar level to the last match, really, in terms of the ring work. Carlito was a bit sloppy at times. Like that spine buster you mentioned, he was just like, oh, I'm going to kind of sit down for it and kind of not. I thought Carlito got a little bit too much in for my liking, but it's not. It's all right. Yeah, I've just my, my note says okay. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, it is time for the previously talked about John Cena versus David Otunga. Otunga comes out with Batista. His current rank in the um, NXT ratings, I think, is it? He's ranked fifth. Is that right? Did you get He's that? He's ranked note? fifth. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, that's yeah. what I had. He strips his jeans off, like, you know, the whole uh, Cesaro gimmick as well. Yeah, he's more, a little, slightly more fashion-orientated rather than the um, the hitman for hire look Cesaro had. Mm, yeah. Oh, by the way, before this match started, we got a Did You Know crop up. Go on. Did, did you know WrestleMania was the, most, was the most searched for thing on Google on WrestleMania Sunday? That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but how are we going to be searching for it, like, you know, seven days earlier? <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, they, they love their, um, their useless stats to make themselves look huge, don't they? Mm. We get some shame wrestling to start off. Cena uh, rides Otunga and makes him a little bit of his, of his bitch here for the early going, and then hits a boxing combination, so he's going through his sort of, um, Different fighting styles here, Cena early. Hits a pair of suplexes, goes to the um, ropes and challenges Batista, who stood up the aisle. Um, we get a clothesline, an STF, and Otunga taps out like the fucking jobber he is without getting a lick of offense in. 
Squash City. This is how you'd expect this match to go. John Cena, WWE champion. Otunga, middle of the field NXT competitor, who you know we're supposed to believe isn't ready to be a WWE superstar quite yet. Well, all right. I don't know. I just think like, how long does do you do you know how long did the original like the NXT competition last? Ooh, um, I think it pretty much like ten or twelve weeks because I think there were ten competitors and they started eliminating someone each week pretty much like within the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, when at this stage it's got to be sort of at least halfway through, you would think. So, I just don't understand how they want to put this on TV and then in five or six weeks, one of these guys is going to win. And at this stage, I'm assuming they probably don't even know which one it's going to be. And then they're going to want them to get that buzz from being the name straight away because it wears off pretty quickly. I mean, look at all the tough enough guys, um, how quickly they've all died out for the most part. It's really damaging if you have any plans for Otunga in, in a month's time or two months' time to have him get beat this handily by Cena, I felt. Uh, I don't know, big if there. If I'd rather they do this with someone like in the middle of the field rather than oh like have I don't know who would have been leading back then but Barrett or Sheffield or someone like that. Daniel Bryan was in this one too, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, but he kept on losing. He had the losing streak going on and was surviving by the skin of his teeth. We might see him. Uh coming up actually which is gonna totally shit on my theory <laughs> because <laughs> he, he wrestled someone and uh had a, a, a bit more success than otunga did from what i can remember but yeah i guess like i don't know i i understand where you're coming from and i think if wwe was a patient entity where they would have a competition like this and then show you months and months of them training and getting ready to be a WWE superstar and then bring them back and have be competitive, that would make sense. But typically what happens is they put the winner straight on TV, they get a little push for a while and they get sick of them and job them out. Mm, yeah. Um, really, they're not doing a very good job of promoting this show in general. This Otunga stuff's the most screen time it's been getting anyway. Yeah, fair enough. And that's probably not going to last much longer. <laughs> no. Batista strips three quarters of his clothes off and he's wearing a lot of clothes. So that is, uh, you know, it doesn't take just a second. Walks three steps up the ramp, then decides not to fight Cena and immediately walks back. So probably could have made that decision without stripping off, to be fair. (laughs) He has some pretty shiny trousers on, which I don't think he was going to be stripping off anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah, it might have taken a minute to get out of them. I think what it was was the crowd were chanting, you tapped out at him and he was trying to time it. Uh, like in time with that reaction I was like nah I saw you then yeah so we don't get the um, Cena and Batista confrontation just yet but it is definitely imminent mm-hmm. and we get our slam of the week and it's the Triple H sledgehammer um, incident with Sheamus from the week before so keeping that feud alive here um, this is something they used to do a lot isn't it I don't know if they still do in this day and age but the, um, the rewinds and stuff from last week it just uh, if you watch the show regularly, it always used to annoy me watching it that I got so many replays and recaps of the week before and even from the hour before. But I guess for people just tuning in, that's great. I was going to say the ones from the hour before of the opening of the show are the ones that really get me. Well, I say they get me. I don't watch Raw all the way through, so... Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, do what you want. <laughs> I'm just going to skip to the best bits, you know. Pretty much. I'm going to wait for someone on Twitter to say something amazing happened and then watch that segment. Next up, it's Seamus and Kofi Kingston. And Seamus gets on the mic beforehand and says Triple H is scared of him. Um, and he will take him on in Extreme Rules in a street fight. Kofi comes out to avenge the pipe to the back of the head from last week. Surprisingly, he is not dead or in a coma, so he's back to wrestle again. <laughs> um, um, he says that the Hoff made the match, and here he comes. So Kofi gets in the ring with a bit of a determined look on his face, hits some leg kicks before eating a shoulder block, but then Kofi comes back with a drop kick and a missile drop kick for a two. Sheamus hits a clothesline, um, and this pretty much takes a fire out of Kofi, who's not exactly going nuts for his revenge after the first 30 seconds. I guess not. Commentary make an absolutely ludicrous claim at this point in the match. They were talking about how Sheamus, oh, he lost the title without being pinned. I heard this and I was like, it it was a real head scratcher because he lost it in the chamber. And I'm thinking, (laughs) does that make sense? You you can't exit the chamber without losing, can you? Exactly. I had to like pause it for a minute and think, do I remember everything about Elimination Chamber matches wrong, or are they wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Like, exactly. He lost it in the Elimination Chamber, and he's not the champion anymore, but so he's guaranteed to have been pinned in that match, you know, regardless of what you claim. That definitely made me pause for a minute and go, what what have I remembered wrong? I'm sure we watched that, and I'm pretty sure he got beat. (laughs) Oh, anywho, yeah, so Michael Cole on fire, as usual. Um, he must be doing good, though, because um, when we get to Impact later on, we're going to have a look at Taz doing his best Michael Cole impersonation. Oh my gosh, yes, I can't wait for this. <laughs> Sheamus hits a tilt-a-whirl slam for a two-count and some kicks um, from Kofi and a drop kick. He hits his boom drop, and he, goes for, he hits Trouble in Paradise, but Sheamus gets the ropes on the pin. Then nails him with a TV monitor for the DQ ending. Um, runs Kofi into the post, back and then ribs first, and then hits him with the brogue kick. So that was a um, short-lived fight back from Kofi Kingston. Yeah, I'll admit they had me really biting at the end when Kofi got the trouble in paradise, but there's nothing really of note of this match otherwise. Although Sheamus did a great Toro Yanu impression getting in the ropes and begging off of a break and stuff. This next segment is one that I'm hoping you're going to be able to shed some light on on for me because I could not figure out what the fuck was going on. Carlito wants to leave Raw and then the camera pans and he's talking to Kozlov and it ends with them talking about destroying a cat next week on Raw. Please tell me you know something about this nonsense. Uh, So... Yeah, so Kozlov came over in like the su- supplementary draft when ECW closed. Uh, Carlito came into the office wanting a rematch with Evan Bourne. He's like, well, fine, I'm just going to bugger off to quit if I'm not traded to SmackDown. Uh, I didn't really catch precisely what Kozlov said, but next week on Raw, the stars of the movie MacGruber are going to be on. And Kozlov says that he's... he wa- He's going to get what he wants, or he's going to destroy MacGruber. Which is a cat, right? No, it's uh, so it started out as an SNL sketch. It's like a parody of MacGyver, and they're always like 
it's kind of like A-Team-esque where they fashion up some really conveniently placed uh, device to escape an exploding bomb or something like that. I could have sworn they said something about a cat. I must have been drunk when I watched this. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out exactly where I got this from now. <laughs> I, I must have been drinking or sleep deprived one of the two. <laughs> Let's move right along. But they're going to destroy the host of McGruber. Okay, fine. <laughs> Orton cuts a promo on Swagger and Batista, and he tells us that Jack Swagger and him is business, but Batista and him later on is personal. Mm, he's been waiting a very long time to get hold of Dave again. We had a brief rundown of the Extreme Rules card so far beforehand, and there was so much crowd sweetening in that. Like, you know, the, the seagull effect that they always put in? Yeah. <laughs> the standout match from the rundown for me was CM Punk versus Rey Mysterio in a hair versus nothing match. Seems fair, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god. We then go to our Baywatch Babe three way tag match, and the special guest lifeguard will be the Hoff. You know, there's no water, but we still need a lifeguard for some reason. <laughs> We're going to be drowning in shit wrestling, I guess. So. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> we get um, Gail Kim and Kelly Kelly out as the first tag team, and I did love the um, slow mo Baywatch entrances. That was pretty cool. Yeah, Hoff did it to get into his high chair. Like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then Gail and Kelly did it as so well. I was like, oh, everyone's going to do this. And all right. We go to a commercial break after their entrance. We come back, and the Bellas, as you said, do the exact same entrance. Um, and then we get Santino as a guest referee with the same entrance. That was pretty funny. Yeah, Santino, who is the most over person in this match, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jillian and Rosa, however, got the slow-mo jobber entrance during the commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We get a huge Santino chant to start, and then we get a head scissors from Kelly and a drop kick from Brie. Not quite as bad as the kicks that everybody's been going nuts about on Twitter this week from Brie. Nope, it couldn't get any worse, really, could it? I know. I mean, if that was anyone other than the Bellas, do you think there'd be this much of a backlash, though? Oh, I'm not sure, actually. Um... You think if Becky Lynch had kicked someone in the face by mistake, she'd be copying this abuse? Probably not. It's It all depends on the follow-up, because I think the thing is, if Becky Lynch would have done it, maybe her apology would have been slightly different. And you know you'd have seen like a slightly different kind of response, so less of a panic. Yeah, I mean it wasn't. It didn't make for good viewing watching a dragger afterwards. But I mean it's still one of them things. It, you know, I think someone put it best when they said Owen Hart dropped Steve Austin on his head, and ima- imagine if he had Twitter back in the day now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is just the thing that like, everyone's gonna get on anybody's case whenever an accident happens. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a little bit of overkill for me. I agree with the sentiment that it was pretty sloppy, but I think the reaction online and some of the the pure hatred that stemmed from it was a little bit much for my liking. Yeah, we get a Samoan drop from Jillian, and then Rosa hits a suplex for a two. Um, we then get this is okay. I, I took exception to this spot here. The Bellas use twin magic, right? But again, this is 2010 women's wrestling. The match is about a minute old. Why do they need to do a swap for a fresh partner? 
<laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> oh, it, it it seems to work anyway, but then Gillian argues with Santino, who goes to blow his whistle and swallows it and faints. Um, this brings out a new lifeguard. It's Hornswoggle, who comes out in slow motion, um, tries to pump the heart of Santino, which doesn't work. So goes up top and hits his tadpole splash, which pops the whistle right back out in the most ridiculous thing I've ever watched. <laughs> It was what it was at the end there. (laughs) (laughs) It was nice to see Gillian and Rosa get, I guess, probably all of 45 seconds out of this minute and a half match. But, you know, we don't see them that often. It's, you know, everything else is just bleh. I'm a little bit less harsh on this one as opposed to the the evening gown thing last week because, you know, you had Santino and eventually Hornswoggle out there. So you had some of the, the men's division wrestlers getting on the whole cosplay thing as well. Yeah, I didn't think this was demeaning as it was more comedy. Like, I think the whole, like, the title match changing hands in a minute and some of the other garbage we've seen is a little bit demeaning. This wasn't, I I didn't feel sexist for watching this. I just felt like it was some okay and some very bad comedy done by men and women alike. Yeah, exactly. This wasn't, like, a a titillation thing uh, quite as much. Of course, Baywatch is, you know, by by design, very focused on the male gaze and stuff. My yeah. issue mostly surrounds... Uh, so, sure, okay, you've had your title match earlier in the show, but then the rest of your division is in this, like, comedy match. Like, what does that really do for the people just underneath Eva Maurice in the pecking order? Yeah, it's not, it's not building up a challenger, that's for sure. No. Nah. But then again, I mean, looking at the the title match itself, if you ever just come out and do three moves, you're sort of into a, into a five-star classic by the division standards at this point. Oh, my God. John Cena would be Divas champion forever because he's got five moves. <laughs> five moves of doom. And if, if we um, put him on every show for about three years, he might break them all out at some point. Did you see his sixth move of doom that he did in Shanghai? No. It was literally just a back fist. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, terrible. We get a bit of a video package for the European tour, and then we go to our main event, which is Randy Orton taking on Batista, and we're told that Cody Rhodes is actually out with a concussion from Randy Orton's punt, which is something you will not hear in 2018. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, another thing you probably won't hear so much in 2018 is an injury getting sold correctly. Like, Ziggler and Rollins fell off the cell. Oh, they're having a match on Raw the next night. I know they wrestled like they were injured and stuff, but just why? No. Yeah, the two... They can't let anything simmer or let anyone stay off TV for fear of losing a rating this day and age, and the ratings are declining anyway. I just I don't understand it. Yeah, it's the it's the same problem with all their super shows. Really, they don't change up the lineup as much as they need to. Yeah, I agree. And adding all these, ex- I, you know what I don't re- what really boggles my mind. Like, so this pay per view over here is called Super Showdown. First of all, it sounds so generic. Like that would be the name a wrestling show would be given in a comedy throwaway line on a sitcom. But what I don't get is why they don't just move this month's pay per view to Australia. 
Like, there's no buy rate worry anymore. Why not make it seem like a full-on proper event and then make the Australians more likely to be interested than, and make everyone else more likely to tune in? All I'll say is, Lee, if it looks like a house show and it breathes like a house show, it probably is just a house show. Yeah, I know, I know. And I know they're going to pack it out and I know it's they're going to make a ton of money off it. But just call it, you know, get rid of, first of all, the gimmick pay-per-view suck anyway. It's not Hell in a Cell this month anyway. What pay-per-view is it this month? Well, it's Evolution this month. Hell in a Cell was the last one. So is, is there no actual, like, men and women pay-per-view this month now? Is it just Evolution instead? Just Super Showdown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a joint one, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They could just This could have been this month's Backlash or No Mercy or something. Then everyone in Australia is like, holy shit, we're getting a pay-per-view. And then people in America are still going to watch the show and not think, well, this is a house show. Mm. Just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too logically on this. Let's move back to 2010. <laughs> We've got the um, actual two number one contenders for the world titles going at it here. So Orton, obviously, is a number one contender for Jack Swagger's belt and Batista for John Cena's. So that's an interesting little side note for the match here, as well as the past evolution history of these two guys. Orton hits some fists to start, and Batista powders to the outside. When we get back going, Orton hits his Garvin stomp, and of course, Michael Cole calls this vintage Orton. <laughs> we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, Batista's all over Orton, hits a clothesline, and they brawl along the outside. Batista hits some boots to the head of Orton for a two. Orton sends Batista into the ring post. They go back and forth with some punches before Orton hits his sweet low power slam, and he is awesome rope DDT for a two count. Orton's got the best SmackDown moveset here. It's just brilliant. Um, we get a spine buster from Batista, and then the RKO from Orton. But Jack Swagger comes in, uh, hits a gut wrench power bomb, and then John Cena comes in and nails Jack Swagger in the aisle, hits an STF to Batista, which makes Batista tap out. The referees pull John Cena off, and Batista gets out of the ring to end the show. What did you think about the main event and the closing segment with the four guys in the title pictures all involved? Dave didn't just tap out. He was passed out long enough to be counted down for 10 by Cena. Yeah. So, uh, so plugging your last man standing match there. Um, no, we were talking earlier about how we can't wait for Taz's Michael Cole impression. Of this. <laughs> well, Taz, well, sorry, Michael Cole went all Taz calling this a physical battle. <laughs> At least he didn't talk about the yam bags. <laughs> quite. This, I mean, it wasn't quite as good as Orton versus Swagger from last week, I thought, but I really appreciated Orton in the early goings of this match continually changing the pace, trying to get Dave frustrated, and there were some good little spots playing up to the power advantage that Dave had. This was like the best of a really middling bunch of matches for this episode of Raw for me. Yeah, there was nothing that stood out about this show other than the fact that it was in England. But other than that, it's very much a throwaway show. But at least it was fairly inoffensive with the action, excuse me, and the stars involved. It, it, it was okay. It was a pretty easy watch, at least. Yeah, nothing spectacular. Nothing I'd go back to watch again or go out of my way to live through again. But yeah. No. Well, that's Raw in the can then. Should we head over and see if Impact is as sort of meh or if they step things up a little bit higher? Huh. Impact is very rarely meh, my friend. 
No, before we do that, I completely forgot. We've got a new new segment to talk about. So I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you don't have anything, I'm going to come with something instead. So we're going to talk about, we're going to call this one, I think, Rememorabilia. Do you have a piece of memorabilia of any description that you had in the past that you can tell us about? I heard you do this with Carl last episode and I'm kind of prepared. I, I, yes. I, I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to, it to be like memorabilia lane or something instead of memory lane but anyway oh we can work with that (laughs) (laughs) so uh like certain people in our circles will probably be quite familiar with this like martin especially from uh new blood rising but i had a cane maximum sweat figure yes so this is really like how to describe it like the the shape of the figure it's really like beefy, jacked up, uh, like not very true to life physique or proportion figure. I just wanted it because Kane had a removable mask, and when you took the mask off, it was just attached with like some sticky tape, and you took it off, and you saw that his face was just Undertaker's face, but with a bunch of burn marks on it. <laughs> that is brilliant. I remember as a kid desperately wanting a cane figure with a removable mask, thinking that I was going to see what he looked like underneath. And you had it all along, and it was nothing like what he looks like. Nope. So good. I um, I would definitely mark out if I'd have seen that in the shops over here at the time. It's like the only wrestling figure I wanted for quite a long while. Oh, I wish I could say that now. I am so deep in it. It's, it's just no coming back from me. <laughs> I have now five IKEA D12 cabinets full of elite figures. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And plus, I've got the retros on top and then my belts on top and hanging from the wall. It's um, the last year and a half, two years have just spiraled out of control. <laughs> nice work. I've been a responsible adult long enough and I've just let myself go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well that's brilliant I'm glad you had something I really should give everyone a heads up about this but I think it's going to be more interesting if I spring it on everyone last minute Impact now. So Impact starts off with 
I don't know if you're going to agree agree with me on this or if many people will, but one of my favourite non-WWE theme songs of all time, Jeff Jarrett's TNA theme. I'm, I'm fine with it, really. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I'll come back to you because I'm pretty sure there's another one where I'm like, I definitely prefer it to this, but... Yeah, I just love it. I, Jeff Jarrett's theme song is just one of them that I always sing along to every time I hear it. I think it's great, but may, maybe it's just me. I've got weird taste. <laughs> well, speaking of the sing-along time, uh, so Jarrett starts his promo and talks about how TNA is total non-stop action wrestling, and the fans were chanting right along with him. Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty keen for Jarrett in the early going here. The Impact Zone's always pretty rowdy, but yeah, it's good to see Jarrett getting a good reaction here, especially with all the, the other stars coming in and sort of overtaking him. Yeah, he's had... We've missed quite a bit of this, really. He's had his pay-his-dues storyline where he's just cleaning the toilets and Sean Morley assaults him and stuff or he's doing catering backstage and stuff. Yeah, I'm glad we've seen Jeff Jarrett get back to getting some respect here. Mm. And we've got Tanae banging on about the fact that it's a new start time for Impact of 8pm, which I'm assuming is earlier than Raw. Would I be right on that? or? Yeah, Raw at this stage would be 9 to 11. Uh, so Impact's going 8 through 10. Uh, but this is like... They debuted this start time last week, so I think it's just trying to keep reminding people to get into this routine. Yeah, definitely. It didn't seem seem to make a huge difference to the ratings, um, with Raw getting the 3.2 and Impact getting a 0.8. So hopefully they'll remind a few more people and they'll pick up in the weeks to come. But I'm not going to hold my breath. No, there's another detail coming up about timings and shows and stuff, which might make a difference. We get a recap of the Sting and Jeff Jarrett incident last week where Jeff Jarrett's asking Sting why he's joining the the dark side and Sting hits him with the bat. Um, And then we get a pretty good promo from Jarrett who basically says he's going to go and find Sting and demand some answers and goes up into the rafters and does find him. They brawl all the way down to the ring, which the crowd are really into, and they start a why Sting, why chant, which is a little bit smarky, but it was still cool that they were getting into it. I loved... uh, so. Jarrett gets up to the rafters and he kind of spots Sting and he sneaks away. And Sting's like walking up to the camera all confident and stuff and he shushes the camera. Like, shh, I'm going to catch that wabbit. <laughs> and Jarrett just sneak attacks him. It's not quite the same 97 hanging in the rafters mystique at this point. No, not really. The brawl down the steps, like, like you're saying, the crowd reaction was especially significant Katrina. I'm pretty sure none of the people can see properly what's going on. Yeah, it was good though. They were definitely into it. Um, when they get in the ring, the lights go out and all of a sudden they come back on and Sting has got his bat. Um, he works over Jeff Jarrett with it. Um, eventually Abyss, Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam come out to stop him beating the living shit out of him um, in a really good opening segment, which I enjoyed. So Jarrett, the first member of Team Hogan for the night to be attacked, but he will not be the last one. No, for sure. Yeah, this is pretty decent, really, all around. We then go backstage to Jeremy Borash with Team Flair, um, AJ Styles, Beer Money, Desmond Wolf, and, of course, Ric Flair. And they basically all take turns cutting a promo on Team Hogan, ending with AJ Styles and a big woo from Ric Flair. I'll splice some of this in, but I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a, a good heel promo. Impact Zone. We've got a with Ric Flair and Team 
Ladies and gentlemen, lockdown is this Sunday, and I am here with the entire team. Team. Austin God's Greeners, would you be besides with Team Flair? This is TNA. The focus of TNA is in this room. Do you understand? Do you see what just happened? Sting just laid out Jeff Jarrett. Did you see that? Did you see it? Well, that's just an example of what the rest of the night's going to be like. And Hogan, like I told you what I got here, I hate your guts. I despise what you are, what you think you are, who you think you've been. I'm Ric Flair. There's only one. And in St. Louis, my town, my town, we at Lockdown will destroy Team Hogan and Hulkamania. Last week on Impact, my partner James Storm smashed a beer bottle over you, Rob Van Dam. And tonight it's you and me, Jeff Hardy, and everybody in the world knows that you love to fly around like a little birdie. We'll make one thing for certain, Jeff. Tonight, when you step in the ring with me, you will never, ever fly again. <laughs> Sorry about your damn luck. <laughs> and last week, I took out that horrible monster abyss. Last week, I put out that flame known as Abyssomania in one shot. You see, Abyss, you're fallible like anybody else. You know, you're an animal, you're dangerous, but just like any other animal, you can be tamed. Tonight, I will not only tame you, I will maim you, and that ring will be ours. You mean mine. Yours, right. That's what I said. Hope! It starts with this tag match tonight where me and Desmond take on you and abyss, and it ends at lockdown between you and I, where I embarrass you and basically just beat the ever-living piss out of you. And there are two things you can do about it. Nothing and like it. Woo! 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 Immediately from the get-go, Flair's like, the focus of TNA is in this room. Like, yeah, we, we can tell... Rick, we've seen the way the show has been booked for the past few weeks. <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's just the like, classic style Survivor Series kind of promo where everyone's addressing their individual feuds. AJ had some good lines uh, claiming, you know, I said he's going to beat the ever-loving piss out of Pope. And there's like two that. things he can do about it. Nothing and like it. That was a very Flair-esque line, that one was. You can you could definitely... I mean, they didn't try and hide it, so of course you can see it, but you can definitely see the um, Ric Flair influence on AJ in, at this point in his career where they're trying to mould him down that path. It was never quite a good fit, but I definitely don't think the, the rub with Flair hurt him in any way. Not particularly. I'm just glad that it seems like the early goings, uh, they even have AJ try and mimic Flair's cadence, and there's a lot less of that in this promo, some of the recent ones we've seen from him. So I'm just glad for that. Yeah, definitely. We go back to the ring for our first match, and it is Team 3D and Jesse Neal taking on the band. I have no idea who the fuck Jesse Neal is, so I hope you're going to fill me in on him a little bit here. Uh, well, he's one of the Team 3D Academy graduates. Uh, and that's pretty much all I know about him, so that's his inlet into the business here. So, of course, originally this was going to be just Team 3D versus two members of the band. 
and Bubba, when they all come out with weapons, grabs the mic and says, nah, we've had a chat to Hogan, it's going to be a street fight now. And the, the bit that I loved about this touch was when the band came out, Nash and Waltman were in the wrestling gear, but Hall was in street clothes. So, you know, that kind of suggests that Nash and Waltman were going to be the, the team wrestling the regular match. Of course, now Hall's stuck having some involvement too. It's a point Taz makes on commentary too, which I did appreciate because otherwise it would have just looked like Scott Hall wasn't in good enough shape to wear his wrestling gear. Can you imagine if it was like uh, the Rocket Mania 32 who just strips off and like, I've been wearing my wrestling gear all along. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a little bit harder to get get his dad jeans off that quickly. I suppose. Or he needs Otunga's jeans. Yes, definitely. That would work. We get a good plunder brawl in the ring, which sort of transitions into a really lengthy beatdown from the baby faces, which was, which was a little bit jarring. You don't often see a lengthy weapons beatdown from the babyface team. It's Jesse Neal, especially, he was running wild on everybody at one point in this match. Yeah, a little bit hard to, to swallow that one. Um, one of the highlights of this is a kendo stick to six pack right in the yam bag. <laughs> Lots of yam bag spots in this match. <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit of an age going on here with this beatdown, and that was one of the highlights. But one of the low points of it is Taz telling us that Scott Hall looks even more dizzy than normal. Oh, dear. Yeah, that was a little bit below the belt. You could say that one was right in the air back. (laughs) 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 And then we get another classic um, Dudley Boys Team 3D spot. The what's up? Right in the air back. (laughs) Right in the air back. (laughs) Oh, this is Taz's wet dream, this match. (laughs) We get the the one, two, three Devon get the tables that you were telling me about the other week. So they've definitely added that little extra bit in for the crowd participation. Um, Bully Ray sets Puck up on a table, but this brings out Bubba the Love Sponge, who just looks absolutely nothing like somebody that should be involved in a wrestling angle as he comes down this ramp. I uh, just, yeah, <laughs> it, it lacks any credibility anytime he steps from behind the curtain for me. He comes out and distracts Bubba, and this allows Puck to hit an X Factor from the top rope through the table to Bubba for an absolutely awesome move to pick up the three, even though it was the only offensive move from the heels in the whole match. Um, Lame that they sort of didn't get any offense in whatsoever, but really awesome spot. I loved it. What did you think about the the finish and the match itself? Yeah, good little throwback to the uh, Dudley's uh, Dudley's DX feud like 10 years ago at this point. Yep. Like that finishing spot was nice. The finish itself was bullshit. Like, like you're saying that they get beat on the whole match and it's 2005 John Cena again. I actually am somewhat different to you here. I thought the faces running riot all throughout this match was really nice and cathartic, really, like considering the position that the band have been put in and their ability to deliver on that position, shall we say. Yeah, I think you, you definitely made... It made the good guys look strong, and I appreciated that. I'm not opposed to them dominating the match. I I didn't like it being 100% to nothing. I would have liked the heels to have at least looked competitive for a moment or two before the baby faces fired up and took over. Yeah, I guess you could say that they were selling the surprise of the stipulation change. Yeah, I guess so. Um, 
either way, definitely it made the it made Team 3D look on their level, which I guess was the ultimate aim. So you can't really hate too much on that. Um, it looks as though the band are going to give as good as they get here after the match and put a beat down on. But Eric Young comes out with a hockey stick to chase the heels off and challenges Nash to a cage match at lockdown, which loses a little bit of its... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's... Um, impact? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> A little bit of its impact when you consider the fact that every match is in a bloody cage at lockdown. <laughs> I'd be more surprised if he challenged him to, I don't know, a hog pen match or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as grandiose as he tried to make it out, is it? <laughs> no. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see Eric Young versus Kevin Nash. Um, I don't think it's going to be a classic, but it's two guys that I couldn't picture how a match between them would go. So I'm very intrigued to watch that one. Hmm. We then get Chrissy Hemi with Hulk Hogan, who says that Team Hulk Hogan will prevail at lockdown. Of course, he's going to say that. And spots Eric Bischoff talking to Ric Flair and calls Bischoff into his office. And as Taz tells us, a little bit like being called into the principal's office. Mm, yeah. We then go to our next matchup, which is Shannon Moore, of, again, carrying the book of Dilly Gaff, <laughs> taking on Kazarian, who seems to have the Frankie drop from his name. Was was it just me? Or I'm not sure you can remember, but I thought the two guys' entrance music in this match was really similar. Yeah, I can't I can't say I've got a note about it, to be honest with you. Every time Shannon Moore comes out, I just to do two things, laugh at how stupid he looks and have a little chuckle to myself that he's carrying around a book declaring how he doesn't give a fuck. Well, see, Shannon came out and his music's like something I don't know. I can't remember what it's like. And then Kaz's music just literally sounded like the same song but slowed down. They might have to fight for the rights for it at some point. And we're told they're both going to face Doug Williams for the Exhibition Championship at lockdown. So that's going to be a triple threat match, which should be a decent one. I'm looking forward to seeing that actually. We get some chain wrestling from the start, and we are told on commentary that uh, by Mike today that Park and Scott Hall will take on Team 3D at the pay-per-view. So that's all three members of the band now booked in matches coming up at lockdown. Mm, yeah, that'll be an interesting one as well. My favourite part of the opening exchanges was uh, Cass was about to get thrown off a headlock, but he grabbed Moore's mohawk to remain control. Remain in control. I did like that. It's a, it's a bit of a slow pace to start with, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they're kind of feeling each other out and allowing Taz to get in some interesting lines. <laughs> you want to hit me with hit me with the best one. <laughs> So we're getting a bunch of really neat wrist lock escapes and a leapfrog exchange. And Taz, out of nowhere, quips like, Yo, life's not about rainbows and butterflies, you know, Mike? <laughs> okay. Fair enough, Taz. <laughs> oh, man. I really, I really like Taz as a commentator, but I feel like, you know, when everyone talks about how bad it must be to be a commentator in WWE with Vince McMahon yelling down your ear. I feel like Taz is someone that does much better in that environment. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine how bad it is to be a commentator in Impact to try to reel Taz back in. <laughs> yeah, poor Mike today. <laughs> so then we get an inverted atomic drop and a leg drop uh, from Shannon and the Springboard crossbody. And Taz again pipes up with... 
what do they got going on in North Carolina? Jeff Hardy walking around the way he does. It's a whole other world out there. <laughs> yeah, there's two guys that look a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I did. I that line about North Carolina did pop me. It was pretty funny that. I, you know, there's two two guys that are not quite. You know, Jeff Hardy doesn't look all that weird at this point, but yeah, it made me laugh. We get a um, we get Douglas Williams joining the commentary team here, and then we get a bit of a botch from Shannon Moore. He goes for the Rey Mysterio style wheelbarrow into a bulldog, and it just doesn't land at all. It looks pretty ugly. Mm, yeah, proper rough looking. We get a clothesline from Shannon Moore, a drop kick, and then a moonsault to the floor, and a hurricane runner off the top rope. So this is more, I guess, in the early point of the match when I said it was, it was a bit slow going. I didn't understand where they were going with because the whole storyline revolving around at the moment is these guys want to fly and Doug Williams wants to mock them for flying. So I didn't understand why they were going at a slow pace, but it definitely built into some high spots here eventually. Yeah, again, it's just kind of feeling each other out. I'm not sure how often these guys will have wrestled each other before. Shannon Moore's moonsault is wonky like Terry Funk's. <laughs> yeah, it's better than being crisp and breaking your arm like Kurt Angles, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of wonky package, <laughs> speaking of wonky stuff, Taz then randomly out of nowhere makes a joke about Dave Penzer's small package. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> We get a, um electric chair drop into a pin from Kazarian for a two. Um, Douglas Williams, actually, on commentary, the more he talks, the more I think he sounds a little bit like Carl. Oh. Just a little bit of the cadence of his voice has reminded me of recording my last podcast. So, Carl, when you listen to this, tell me, tell me if you think you can hear a little bit of, of yourself in him. I'm... I can't remember off the top of my head where Doug Williams claims he's from. <laughs> I thought it would have been a little bit further south than Midlands. I would think so, but there's just something about his his um the way he speaks that just gives me a little shot of it. Maybe it's just me, but have a listen to both and see what you think. <laughs> you need you need to get Carl to cut a promo about jumped up acrobats and shit next time you record. I think we can manage that. <laughs> We get a, um, a moonsault from Shannon Moore for a two. They exchange the pins for a two count, and then we get a time limit draw, which um, draws some boos from the crowd and a let them fight chant. I don't know about you, but I actually kind of appreciated the out-of-nowhere time limit draw that didn't have a big countdown and flashing warning signs that this was going to happen. I didn't mind that for a finish. Uh, yeah, like I liked that it wasn't telegraphed, but still, I don't remember there being an announcement that this match had a TV time limit at the start. Like, that's all you need, really. When you're introducing them, oh, 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 10 minute time limit. Yeah, I think that's one of them things where if you did that for a month solid, just put time limits on matches like you used to, when this happened, it wouldn't seem so out of left field. But yeah, yeah I guess so. But I didn't mind it. I actually thought this was pretty good. Um, they kind of handshake at the. At, they have a handshake at the end and Williams cuts a promo on the both of them to sort of keep us going along towards the triple threat match at the pay-per-view. I, all in all, I thought this was a good segment. I really enjoyed this in general, yeah. Um, fair few messy things down the stretch and in the beginning from Shannon Moore, uh, like you say, the wheelbarrow spot especially, but he was mostly serviceable throughout this and... Um, Kaz really played his role very smartly, made for a very entertaining match. This is a trend that we're seeing 
quite often throughout this timeline really it doesn't take impact very long to have pull a match out that is roughly equal to the best thing we've seen on raw and i thought this was on the similar sort of level to raw's main event really yeah i probably would even say this was more enjoyable than raw's main event for me i really thought this was um you know, I was a bit on it about starting slow, but it, it built quite well, had a good story and advanced the storyline all in one. I, I enjoyed this. Mm. We then go to Jeremy Borash with Velvet Sky, who's got her open contract and says she'll be taking on Angelina Love in a leather and lace match tonight, um, but that the titles will be on the on the line at lockdown, not tonight. So it's going to be um, herself and Tara taking on the beautiful people with the knockout title and the tag titles all up for grabs a la the um, old school, like, two-man power trip against Taker and Kane or, do, um, not Dude Love, um, Dudes with Attitude, Shawn Michaels and Diesel taking on Yokozuna and Owen Hart back in the day. Yeah, I found that a little bit confusing when it was introduced at first because, like, Velvet only revealed that the singles title was on the line and, like, oh, now yeah, our tag title was on the line too. Just... Completely not a bullshit. So apparently, Velvet won this any kind of match, anything you want stipulation last week, and now she's not allowed to challenge for the title in it. Yeah, kind of made the rules up as they went, didn't they? Yeah, just I guess keeping to form with the utter bollocks of the lockbox <laughs> stuff from last week. They um move quickly along from this to Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff having a little bit of a lover's tiff um, not the highest of drama but that is soon kicked into high gear when Black Machismo himself comes in and Jay Lethal is just on point I love this man Holster yeah what's up man Ain't been doing some more thinking, thinking, a lot of thinking. Something's got to be done about this band. Did you see what they just did? They didn't play Be A Man Hulk, did they? I'm going to change the name of that to Be A Man Ric Flair, okay? Thank you. But we got to pull a plug on this band, so I think me and you should lace up the boots one more time and let the mega powers ride. What do you say? You know, brother, after lockdown, uh-huh. we'll get it together. Yeah. If you can find my tights, you I- know, the banana hammocks. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like the best idea. Yeah. I've heard all that. Oh, lock it in, brother. Lock it Ooh, in. Yeah. yeah. Bells are right again. Oh, yeah. I'm on the search. <sighs> Takes it to the limit. Yeah. <laughs> Hulk Hogan basically. Um, in response to Jay saying that he wants to team up one more time, put the mega powers back together, yeah. Hogan says, um, as long as you don't play Be A Man Hulk, and he goes, no, I'm going to change the title of that to Be A Man Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, Jay was coming in, and was like, oh, bro, you won't believe what the man was doing, yeah. And he was like, they weren't playing Be A Man Hulk, were they? <laughs> like, oh, no, you know what, I'm going to get that change, Be A Man Flair, yeah. <laughs> and H- Hogan actually offers to team up and reform the Mega Powers just so long as Lethal can find out the old banana hammocks. <laughs> this was um, one of my favourite segments of the night. Hogan had some comedic chops and Jay Lethal was just brilliant. I really, really loved this little interaction. Nice bit of light relief here, yeah. That's great. Uh, Borash is in with Angelina Love. Tara walks in. Um, they use the, um, the same 
keep your friends um, close and your enemies close alive that Eric Bischoff used in the previous segment about 90 seconds ago. So the producers weren't all on the same page with the script tonight here. <laughs> Other than that, nothing really of note. A little bit of tension because Tara's lost a belt, but, you know, it is what it is. Mm. We then go to... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Well, just... Angelina had one line here about how she's not going to parade about like a lady of the night. <laughs> no, but she's going to be in leather and lace very soon. You probably wear a, a similar level of clothing as those ladies of the night. <laughs> anyway. For sure. <laughs> we then go to Christy Hemi with the Pope and Abyss. Pope wants the belt, and Abyss wants to make his big pal, the Hulkster, happy. So that's pretty much the crux of the promo. Pope, as always, is entertaining. Um, and this feud with AJ Styles is starting to bubble along quite nicely. really liked Abyss going into overdrive here as well, talking about Desmond. You need a fire truck or a bazooka or a rocket launcher if you want to take me out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that pretty soon. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. <laughs> we then go to Angelina Love versus Velvet Sky in the leather and lace. But no, Velvet comes out and says it's been changed to a Angelina Love is cuffed match. Um, how is that legal? How is that an option? <laughs> like, is that even a real match type? It's... Uh... I guess it's her right as a stipulation winner. She wants any kind of match that she wants. She can get it, just as long as she doesn't challenge for the title. <laughs> so, but did you hear her at the start here? She was all like... Because um, the stipulation of a leather and lace match was you lose when you strip down to your gear and stuff. Yeah. And Velvet's like, whoa, nobody deserves to see my goodies tonight. And I'm thinking... Did you expect to lose your own match stipulation that you invented? <laughs> Not very confident. <laughs> no. And this uh, brings up my dick move of the night. This is this was actually low-key pretty awful. Um, the referee, male referee, forcibly handcuffs Angelina Love, like just f- absolutely forces her into it. And it's got some really, I don't know, like rapey overtones for me. I didn't like that at all. This match is just fucking awful. It's not a match, it's a segment, but this is all fucking awful. It can get in the bin. Yeah, just not not good. Um, so this allows, obviously, um, Angelina gets some kicks in to try and fight off, even though she's cuffed, but Velvet Sky just nails her with the belt. Um, and now changes after the match has started this to an I quit match, which is how... Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. It's just awful. There's no point trying to explain it. I mean, Angelina Love's not even going to be able to hold the microphone up because her hands are cuffed behind the back anyway. Um, but we just um, we get a beat down and Angelina refusing to quit. The beautiful people come out and make it three on one. Tara eventually comes out and chases them off, uncuffs Angelina, but Angelina won't. Uh, Tara won't shake her hand. So, you know, friends that are tension between partners leading into the pay per view. But overall, this really sucked. And the match just stopped. Yeah. Nobody quit in an I quit match. So she got to pick any stipulation she wanted and she picked a match that wasn't even going to have a conclusion. Huh. Can you imagine if somebody had a ladder match and there was some interference and like, like Hell in a Cell the other week, they all just walk away and the title belt still stuck there up in the rafters. <laughs> just forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh shit, I'm, I'm sure I forgot something here. <laughs> it's how Midian finds it in your bag three months later. 
<laughs> it's like the wrestling equivalent of going into the kitchen and then forgetting what you came into the kitchen for. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, man. We then go outside the building to where we see that Abyss is layout on the concrete and we're told he's been hit by a car. Um, yeah, so not going to take a, a bazooka or a rocket launcher. It's just going to take someone taking aim with their car. Mm, yeah. In fairness, a car is a fair bit bigger than a, a rocket launcher. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> we then go backstage to Jeremy Borash with Matt Morgan, who has the Amazing Red with him as his new tag team partner. And for someone who really only remembers the Amazing Red from his very early days when he was masked, I did not know who the hell this was having him stood next to Matt Morgan. He looks all of 12. So what I didn't realise was uh, somebody, I think it's Boss Moz on Twitter, going back and looking at the really, really early Asylum TNA stuff. I was talking about how much Don West was marking out for Red on commentary. And it just reminded me that when they moved West off of commentary at the tail end of 2009, they had him be Amazing Red's manager. I'm like, oh, that's a bit random. But, oh, it turns out he's just this big Amazing Red super fan from back in the early days. And so something that felt kind of incongruous to me turned out to be a really long-term callback. Yes. Good. I am. Um... I definitely think he's someone like Ray Ray that would benefit more from having the mask on personally, though. And we go to our matchup, which is Motor City Machine Guns, challenging Matt Morgan and the Amazing Red for the tag team titles. Morgan beats down both guns early, sends them both to the outside, and we go to a commercial break. When we come back in, Red's in with Saban, and we get a really quick pace um, before Alex Shelley comes in for a while. Red hits a nice end Zagori, and then a step-up drop kick, and then... Um, we get a punt from the apron, sends Red uh, to, from... Uh, sorry, Chris Saban punts Red from the apron, sends him back flipping to the floor in a really, really cool spot. Did a 360, brother. <laughs> the guns do a double-team suplex, uh, spinning suplex onto Red for a two-count. Matt Morgan gets fed up of this and just drags Red's body into the corner and tags him, which is a really, really cool spot. <laughs> Loved it. He then dominates both guns for a while before they fight back and hit some double-team moves, and he decides he's had enough of this and tags Red in. Red hits a Tornado DDT, and then Matt Morgan hits a huge clothesline. Absolutely fucking whopper. (laughs) Mate, save him do a 360, brother. (laughs) He sets up his finish, but before he can actually execute it, Amazing Red hits the Code Red, and he picks up the 1-2-3, which pisses Matt Morgan off royally. (laughs) Like... Don't forget you're not the legal man, maybe, you know. (laughs) He then low blows Red after the match, who's celebrating with a tag belt, and then puts him in the corner and attempts to um, boot the shit out of him face first into the post like he did to Hernandez, but the guns take some pity on Red and come and save him from that to end the segment. I love this match. This was so much fun. It worked really, really well. That mix of the storyline beats from Morgan, you know, having the reluctant partner because he wasn't allowed to defend the titles on his own, and you know, let's say dragging Red into the corner and being all like in a huff and stuff. And Red and the Guns had some really great chemistry. I loved all of their wrestling together in this match. It was just so smooth. My notes are actually really similar to that in that I thought this 
by they made a really good choice of partner that helped advance the storyline while still giving us a really good match. So the in-ring didn't suffer whilst the storyline advanced. It, it was a really good synergy of everything working together here and just made for a really enjoyable match. I um, I thought this was fantastic. I'm absolutely bravo to all four guys involved because the outcome was exactly what they wanted. The guns didn't suffer because of it. Matt Morgan's come across looking like a monster. Amazing Red's got some sympathy, as well as picking up the wins. It still looks good. Um, the tag titles are defended, and the storyline advances another step. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was great. My favorite television match in this timeline in a good few weeks. Probably going all the way back to Jarrett and AJ, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. This is... um. It was about this point that I realized how much I was really enjoying this show because this is one of the better impacts I've seen so far at this point. Mm-hmm. We then go to a match that would be perfect main eventing any SmackDown <laughs> in this calendar year. Jeff Hardy taking on Bobby Roode. Uh, well, so just before we get to that... Um, oh, I think I've missed... Uh, oh no anyway that's not coming oh no sorry you're Um, right i did i missed uh, abyss being loaded into the ambulance yeah and so during the previous match uh that we were just gushing over tanae revealed that they found cctv footage of the perpetrator as well and we get to see that and they zoom in and apparently rick flair in a white rental car was who ran over abyss see it's interesting you said rick flair i looked at it and i thought it was meant to be kurt angle oh I couldn't, like, because I actually paused it because they're like, oh, you know, they're doing the whole we all know who that is, but we better not say it in case we're wrong thing on commentary. And I'm like, really? Who is it? Like, and I looked at it. It looked like a, a bald guy driving. I, by the end of the night, got the impression it was meant to be Desmond Wolf, but on the still, it looked like Kurt Angle to me. So I was interested that you got Ric Flair. Well, I think what it was was the CCTV being in black and white and Flair's hair doesn't show through. Ah, possibly. Fair enough. Might have what lost you a bit there. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, that's um, certainly advancing the whole Team Flair cutting the legs out from under Team Hogan storyline, which is just quite nicely bubbling along. I-, I say under the surface, it is the focus of the show, but the way they're intertwining it with everything else going on, I think they've done a really good job of that so far on this night. Mm, yeah. The Hardy Rude match gets started with a slap from Jeff Hardy and then a hip toss uh, before hitting his patented sort of leg drop to the balls of Bobby Rude for a two count. They brawl along the outside. Bobby Rude hits a nice second rope knee drop when they get back in for a two. Puts on a chin lock, which Jeff Hardy gets out of with a jawbreaker. Hits his uh, mule kick and Zaguri, and they go backwards and forwards with some punches. Jeff hits a couple of clotheslines, a front suplex, and then the whisper in the wind for a two count. Bobby Roode hits his glorious spine buster for a two before Jeff Hardy curiously hits him with a stone cold stunner. <laughs> yeah, it just it's kind of like his like lazy twist of fate that he does now. He doesn't want to take a back bump, so he just bumps on his ass. Yeah, they even called it a stunner on commentary, and you know, if we're being honest, he probably needed to put a little more stank on it. <laughs> Jesus Christ, kid! <laughs> We get uh, James Storm comes out to distract, but Jeff Hardy kicks him and hits a swanton on Rude for a surprise three count. I didn't see that coming, but James Storm gets in the ring and attacks him pretty quickly. And we get an RVD chant hoping for the save, but James Storm blows a fireball in the face of Jeff Hardy. I did not see that coming. RVD comes running out, but it's too little, too late. Um, 
and after using vintage Jeff Hardy during the match, Taz now tells us that the numbers game have caught up to Jeff Hardy as beer money start beating on him before we go to the commercial break. So what did you think about this match, the post-match angle, and the Michael Cole impersonation from Taz? This is just maybe like a step behind the Van Damme and Storm match we got last week. A little bit more by the numbers, and Jeff was dodgy on a couple of, pot, of spots, but this was solid. Um, ending super crazy. Did not see that coming whatsoever. No, and the fireball, what like this, um, going back to some 1970s Memphis or something there. Yeah, so they censored it on air, but then they're like, oh, you could totally go to TNA.com and see it yeah. in full. I, I, you said that I didn't realise it had been censored until they told me it had been censored I thought like the camera angle just wasn't quite the best or something because it actually sort of half showed it didn't it it didn't cut away or obviously censor it mm. the, uh, the audio for that was it kind of sounded pre-recorded as well yeah. interesting uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. two things uh, two other things I noted at the beginning of this match uh We've not talked about people's trons in ages, but Jeff still has his original tron from his first TNA run. Oh, I didn't notice that. He, he, like He's dressed in white and everywhere's green and stuff. It's a bit strange. And uh, Tanae also announced that at lockdown, Rob Van Dam and James Storm are going to fight in a one-on-one match, and that's going to decide uh, who gets the numbers advantage in the lethal lockdown match. I'm looking forward to that. That should be good. Yeah. What do you think of this overall, Venley? I liked it. I think you're right. It wasn't the same in-ring quality as the previous matches, but it was still better than most of the stuff on Raw, but maybe the main event. So, you know, I can't mark it down for that just because everything else has been really good. But I don't know. I'm kind of... I'm liking the Beer Money, RVD, Jeff Hardy feud more than I thought I would. When they first started pairing off with them, I thought, oh, this is not like the best way to bring in Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam. And, you know, they're being shunted down the card because you've got Hogan and whatnot in there now. But I think it's more elevating Beer Money than it's lowering the other two. What do you think? Yeah, um, we mentioned it last week when Van Dam and Storm are wrestling. It's just an interesting mix of people we've not really seen wrestle together yet. Um, and like you're saying about like ratings and stuff, I thought this was on a very similar level to the Moore and uh, Kaz match and the main event from Raw. It's pretty solid all around. Yeah, decent. It's um, keeping it ticking along nicely anyway. And as you said, they do talk about um, the censoring of, of the fireball angle here and that you can see it online. So if you really want to see someone's face burnt, check that out later. <laughs> We get a hype video for the Angle Ken Anderson match, and it's a. I kind of like this because it's it's almost a UFC style video with the cutting from one interview to the next around the highlights. Um, I don't mind this format. I think it gives it a big fight feel. The feud itself has been rubbish in some of the matches, but I thought this was a good segment. I do like that format as well. They used to do this with particularly the women's division in NXT all the time, and there were a few very early women's division matches revolving around Charlotte when she first came on the main roster that they built like this and I enjoyed it. Um, I'm really, really glad this is just a little pre-taped interview thing so we get to minimise our uh, our exposure to Mr Anderson this week. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how quickly he's become the one person you don't want to see turn up. 
<laughs> and it's probably no coincidence that the show with the least Anderson we've watched has been one of the best shows we've watched. Oh, yeah, fair point. <laughs> Jeremy Borash is backstage with Pope and in walks Jay Lethal. This is just amazing. Two guys I'm loving in their promos coming together, so this is good stuff. Obviously a somber mood here backstage tonight. We've heard from medics that Abyss should be okay. However, that tonight is... Tonight, to, tonight, Pope has a job to do, and and, and my prayers are with Abyss, and Pope prayers go a long way, trust me. But you have to understand, Pope is in a situation where he's about to walk into... Oh, yeah, Mean Gene. What he's about to walk into is a tag match, isn't that right, Reverend Slick? I told Hulk Hogan he can always count on me, and I'm going to prove it. So you take care of the model, and I got dynamite kid. You got that? Hulk Hogan, this one's for you. Oh, yeah! You're done, soul, bro! <laughs> he calls JV Mean Gene. <laughs> and he said, Pope is yeah. Pope is Reverend Slick. <laughs> a little bit racist, but sure. <laughs> And um, well, it's just a religious thing, isn't it? And then AJ and Wolf are the model and Dynamite Kid. <laughs> what an eclectic team that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <coughs> but so good. <laughs> I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd have um, compared AJ Styles to the model Rick Martel in a month of Sundays, but it cracked me up. <laughs> no, he he's not got his. Uh, I'm so worth it, soccer mom hair anyway at this stage, so it's a bit out of place. <laughs> yeah. Um, just really good stuff all around. Jay Lethal, I just, I salute you. You are brilliant. Did you catch who was in the audience in the aftermath of this segment That's as well? That's my very next note. Dog, the bounty <laughs> hunter, and his wife as well, who they don't mention, but it's definitely his wife because she looks like him. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that really dated it, didn't it? I can remember when that was a thing. <laughs> I, I, just, I just see the adverts and stuff it was on I don't know, it was on Virgin or something over here and you just be sprinting just to like grab a guy by the arm like oh you're a real badass bounty hunter there dog <laughs> yeah I can't, I can't imagine he's um he, he's going on too many high speed chases looking at the guy no I just want to see them do a remake with Steve Blackman now Yes, he's like a bounty hunter security guy now. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. That would I'd definitely pay to see that. <laughs> WWE Network, get on it, please. <laughs> yeah, that is something that we'd all want to watch. Forget Camp WWE and all this other crap. Steve Blackman, the bounty hunter, is where it's at. <laughs> we go to our main event of the evening, and it is the Pope and Black Machismo Jay Lethal taking on AJ Styles and Desmond Wolfe. Beer Money, um, however, attack Jay Lethal backstage before he can make his way through the curtain. And after a spirited fight back, trying to keep his own against the two-on-one beatdown, he eats the beer bottle over the head, um, and this stops uh, him being able to come out for the match. Hogan, however, has finally had enough of all his team members and associates being picked off, and he comes out during Desmond Wolfe's entrance and nails him in the back with a chair on the ramp. So instead of being a tag match, it's just Pope and AJ left to go at it. Out of nowhere. I loved AJ had the line saying, oh, Pope, it looks like your partner's got a drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Storm hit him with a whiskey bottle. I'm really disappointed that this team didn't come together because I coined them the Mega Papels, and I was rather proud of that. <laughs> That's pretty decent. <laughs> we um, we get a brawl from AJ and the Pope. Um, Pope gets AJ into the ring, and Ric Flair comes out and nails him with the belt, uh, gets out of the wheelchair, obviously. Beer Money come out and go to a four-on-one beatdown. And Hogan just comes under the ramp and watches on to end the show, looking like the damsel in distress with all these backup being taken out systematically one by one. Mm, Yeah. Flair getting up from his chair was kind of shocking to me. So I was like, oh, is he not still like totally fucked? Yeah. But I suppose if if he can, if he's got the feeling in his feet to drive a car, then of course he's going to be able to stand again now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This was, this was just, Bravo! Hey, this was the best episode of Impact I've ever watched. I'm, I've not watched hundreds of episodes, so don't take that for anything sort of more than what it is. But this is by far and away the best Impact I've watched, and I enjoyed the hell out of this. I would watch this again. I had a good time watching this. Of course, it still has its inconsistent spells, like uh, the leather and lace cub. A handcuff come street fight. I mean, I quit match can just fuck off. Waste of time. Uh, yeah. Um, solid in ring all night long, really. Um, like, the the worst match other than, like, like I said, the leather and lace thing was uh, the street fight at the start, but still that had, like I said, a, a catharsis to it, seeing the, the, the band getting beaten up. And... Uh, yeah, lots of decent build all throughout the show for the headline matches in general. The thing that could be the death knell really for them here is uh, when the main event was kicking off, Tanae announces that rather than the last couple of weeks where it's like, oh no, there's no replay, this is your only chance to watch Impact, they're actually screening a replay of the episode in their old Thursday 9pm time slot. Yeah, giving everybody an opportunity not to tune in and to watch this later in the week. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the um, the things I've noticed since starting this show, actually, is there's not often a direct correlation between the quality of the show and the ratings. Um, I just felt this was so much better than Raw that, you know, obviously Raw's a by far inferior, uh, inferior, a superior established brand, but... Impact put on a show like this, I kind of felt for them that you know it, it doesn't end so well in the, in the weeks to come because you kind of feel like they did enough to get a bit of a bump here. Uh, I'd say it had improved a great deal from when we started watching them. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go through now and, and do the comparison and, and pick the winner and whatnot, but not, I mean, not sort of withstanding whether or not, that's a Vince McMahon word, notwithstanding, <laughs> taking out out of the picture whether or not it was better than Raw. It's still definitely better than what it's been. And yeah, you, you would hope on the back of this you'd get some growth. So we'll see if they get any bump at all when we do the next show. But um, certainly knowing this doesn't end well for them in the long run was a bit of a shame if they could produce stuff of this quality. Mm. So should we go over and pick ourselves a winner then? Yeah, let's take a look. Alrighty, first one out tonight is production value. Who did you think had the better production value on the on the episodes here? I'm going to go with a tie here simply because WWE was a slight step down in that like, 
with being pre-taped and overseas, the audio wasn't quite as crisp as it usually is. Like I say, they got the crapper set than usual, and it just didn't feel quite as A1 as it is when it's live, and Impact didn't really do that much wrong. Yeah, I actually went with a tie on this one too, because Raw had a, a rare misstep and Impact didn't drop off. I mean, normally Raw's of the superior quality, as you would expect, as we talk about every week, but Impact stayed level and Raw took a step back, so I thought that was pretty even. Mm. Crowd, this is an interesting one. I'm very keen to hear who you think had the better crowd on the night. Again, it might just be the audio issue, but I'm going with Impact here. Fucking so disappointed in all of my fellow Brits. I'm like Vince McMahon in that random SmackDown taping in Liverpool. We're like, come on, damn it, why aren't you cheering? <laughs> yeah, I think other than the um, the real pop for Santino, they didn't really love anything outwardly on the show, and maybe Hasselhoff as well, I should say. Um, whereas... TNA, the crowd really got into everything, did pretty much as they were supposed to for most of the night. So I actually thought for an audience that's largely smarks who are, you know, burnt out with WWE at this point in time, I thought they actually really helped the heel face alignment and kept the storylines moving along and did their part. Hmm. Speaking of storylines, who did you think advanced the storylines best on the night? I'm going to go with... Impact here, this felt like a proper go-home show. Lots of things coming together, lots of different announcements. And, um, I mean, we've spoken about our frustrations at the title match being sort of secondary to the lethal lockdown match, but they still got to close the show, do some interesting things and, like, weave them together. I agree. I think... If you compare across the two shows, Raw did have some storyline advancement, particularly around the tag team situation and the um, the main event scene. But I felt like the main event scene was very much sort of treading in place, waiting for the pay-per-view matches to happen and a bit of overkill with the recaps with David Otunga. Whereas if you look at Impact, the whole heels picking off the faces thing didn't become, well, to me at least, maybe I'm slow on the uptake, but <clears throat> didn't come super apparent that they were going to systematically take them out one by one until sort of halfway through doing that. Um, there was great storyline advancement with um, with Angle and Anderson, you know, sort of keeping them off the show and making the match seem more important than it was. And some really, really good storyline between the Cruiserweights and the tag team title situation. So, yeah, impact for me 100%. I thought by far and away the better storytelling. Mm-hmm. And characters on the show, who did you think put most of their big hitters on for this one? Impact again. felt like everyone relevant to the pay-per-view was kind of there, and they kept Mr. Anderson to a pre-taped interview. Fucking get in. (laughs) (laughs) Raw, it was overseas, but it was missing Triple H. Uh, Smackdown people turn up at random to, like, boost things. You know, like, okay, they're maybe boosting the lineup, but why are they there? Um, yeah. Yeah. Not much. Flat. Not much seemed important on Raw for me. I think definitely Impact got more big big names in wrestling in general on their show than Raw did. So I went that way as well. Which takes us to match quality. And no surprises, I've also gone Impact there. I thought this was one of the most one-sided um, match quality uh, face-ups I've seen. What did you think? Impact again. Yeah. Um things on the raw side were mostly inoffensive just there to exist 
Impact, uh, like, Impact could have just had that tag title match and wiped the floor with Raw, to be honest. Yeah, it, it was very, very, very one-sided. Um, but I, I, it, it made a nice change to see Impact, you know, come come up swinging and look like the little engine that could here. So overall, just Raw was fairly inoffensive and Impact was great. So uh, two shows I didn't mind watching whatsoever. What about you? Yeah, um, Raw was same old, same old. Impact, I didn't love it quite as much as you did, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of weird that they, TNA, were having like the worst women's segments as compared to WWE for the second straight week, but that's really the only full-on low light of the show from their end of things. Uh, other than the band, most of the Hogan signees uh, are buggered off. Like, they feel like TNA, they're pushing the right kind of people and uh, making for an interesting show. Yeah, definitely. I think um, no nasty voice helps with that, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's brilliant. Well, that was a pretty handy win for Impact. Um possibly the most one-sided victory in this war so that, that was good raw didn't pick a category from either of us um which is the first time i can remember ever having that happen so very interesting there um we're gonna obviously carry on down this timeline but do you want to tell everybody what you've got coming up outside of this as well yeah we've just recently dropped a new episode based around progress uh looking at the last progress show that we went to see uh as a collective podcast unit and looking forward to their upcoming Wembley show which probably will have taken place by the time you're hearing this possibly um, we've potentially got a very interesting change of format coming up with a very special guest star oh I'm looking forward to this <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try and uh, get that sorted in the next few weeks or so um, we've also recently launched an Instagram page you can follow us at tnw underscore podcast and we also have a tips jar open over at, at ko-fi go to ko-fi.com forward slash then now whatever and if you're really really enjoying Lee's work in particular you can leave us a tip there and that will leave me enough to buy him a pint when he's over in Manchester oh fantastic <laughs> music to my ears <laughs> Ah, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm definitely looking forward to um, hopefully mixing it up with yourself and Kyle in the near future. So keep me informed on that because I'm very keen. Absolutely. And yeah, hopefully um, four or five short, short weeks away, I'm going to be over that side of the world and hopefully we'll manage to organize a night where everyone's free and catch up. Absolutely. Here's hoping. Perfect. Well, thank you once again, Duncan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I feel like I'm right back in the groove now with shows coming out left, right, and center. So check them all out. And I will be, from here, looking at hopefully doing some 1986 wrestling with Richie in the very near future. And we are definitely avoiding WrestleMania 2. That was the only uh, proviso I put on with him for 86 is I hate that show. I do not want to watch it. (laughs) So we think we've picked a couple of shows that will be more enjoyable and look out for that one in the near future as well. Nice one. Perfect. Well, thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next time. Pleasure as always. Catch you again. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk.
and tight as a ballerina I knew all along you had those tendencies Cause you've been running from my truth like I got a disease Do please your pay-per-view event was a joke You're avoiding Randy Savage cause you know you can smoke Come on, that phony fight, the rounds break you fast But when I challenge him to a real fight, he passed I called him out, but the punk was scared to go It was a charity event, but the hall didn't show Hollywood Hulkster, you're at the end of your rope And I'ma kick you in the butt and wash your mouth out with soap Cause, like Randy Dangerfield, you get no respect So come on, Hulk, let's wreck so I can put you in check Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be scared You're running from macho, that's what I heard Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be a chump I never thought Hulk would go wild like a punk Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be scared You're running from macho, that's what I heard Be a man, Hulk! Boy, use a chump Cause Hulk Hogan is a real big punk They call you Hollywood? Don't make me laugh Cause your movies and your acting skills are both trash Your movie straight the video the box office can't stand While I got myself a feature role in Spider-Man You hide the man, but when I find you it's And when I slam it to the dirt, you wish you's never born I smell a coward, is that you, Hogan? Macho's gonna kick your butt, this is a slogan You tried to ignore me, thinking I'll go away But I'ma keep on messing with you two day after day And once you step to Macho, you're through The joke's on you, so Hulk, what you gonna do? Probably nothing, cause you're a real big punk You call my dad up on the phone, man, you's a chunk Cause if you really got static, take it up with me And I'll punk your butt out for the world to see Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be scared You're running from macho, that's what I heard Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be a chunk I never thought Hulk would go out like a punk Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be scared You're running from macho, that's what I heard Be a man, Hulk! Cause Hulk Hogan is a real big punk